0: From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. Hello and welcome to the Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition, episode 366 for the week of November 6th, 2014. I'm Michael Bowling. In previous segments of my series, 60 Years of Disneyland, we have explored the inspiration, design, construction, and first year of operation of Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. In celebrating the 60th anniversary of Disneyland, many of us overlook an equally significant part of Disneyland that had a profound influence on the city of Anaheim. The Disneyland Hotel. My guest on 60 Years of Disneyland, the Disneyland Hotel, is historian and author Don Ballard. Don has written two books on the history of the Disneyland Hotel. Don's first book, Disneyland Hotel, the Early Years, 1954 to 1988, was published in 2005 and coincided with Disneyland and the Disneyland Hotel's 50th Anniversary Celebrations. In response to the book, Don received more material on the hotel, which prompted him to write Disneyland Hotel 1954-1959, to the little motel in the middle of the Orange Grove, detailing the Disneyland Hotel in its very early formative years. Don has also been a featured speaker at the last two D23 Expos right next door to the Disneyland Hotel. Don, welcome to the Diz Unplugged podcast.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: We're happy to have you. Now, the history of the Disneyland Hotel is a very specialized area of Disney fandom. What inspired you to write your first book on the hotel?
1: Um, It's an interesting story. I was checking into the Disneyland Hotel with my wife in 1995, and we were escorted to our room by a bellman who had been there since 1968. And he and I got to talking about the hotel's architecture and the history. And he said, you know, nobody's ever written a book about this place. And I think it would make for an interesting book. And that kind of planted a seed in the back of my head because one of the things on my bucket list from from college was uh, someday I wanted to write a book. And I was already interested in Disney. And he was right. Nobody had written anything on it. And I thought wow, that's a great idea, and I'm someday going to
0: do it. Well, so, boy, talk about being in the right place at the right time.
1: Yeah, it was.
0: (laughs) Now, uh, from my previous segments, our listeners know that Walt's concept and planning for his theme park spanned decades. So when did the idea for a hotel connected to Disneyland first come up?
1: Uh, You mean when did the idea come up when they were doing the initial planning uh, for Disneyland? Correct. They had always talked about wanting to have uh, an upscale sort of uh, hotel motel next to Disneyland because they considered that to be crucial for the development and the the, the guests for Disneyland because that would attract out-of-town people to come to Disneyland because primarily it was people that were coming from the area and they were just spending the day. But if they had an upscale hotel that that met the Disney standards, they would get people going for two, three days or more uh, to Disneyland. And that was crucial to the the, uh, financial success of Disneyland.
0: Now, was it common back in the 1950s for large amusement parks to have hotels associated with them?
1: Um, not that I'm aware of. Certainly not to uh, hotels motels that cater to children. Most hotels motels at that time were were just uh, uh, facilities with one bed, and they were for businessmen that traveled. Um, I don't know too much about too many of the other amusement parks around that time, but they were pretty much things that you could see in one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and not really geared towards overnight guests and, and, uh, and, and repeat customers for two, three days at a time. But that was the whole philosophy and the whole intent that Disney and, and whomever at that point, when they first talked about it, was going to build the hotel. Um, again, that was crucial to, their, to what they considered to be their success.
0: Now, Walt Disney selected Jack Rather to build his namesake hotel. And so who was Jack? rather and why did walt select him
1: jack rather was uh, a native texan he was born in texas um, he came from his father was one of the first uh insurance salesmen to make a million dollars selling insurance in the 30s and 40s and then invested in oil wells and uh and uh oil properties around the state of texas um, and he got ill when in in, in Jack was uh, in his late 20s, and so Jack had to take over the company for him. But then World War II came along, and Jack was uh, drafted or recruited into the Marine Corps. Um, and that's another interesting story, because he was a well-decorated war veteran, um, which I can save for another uh, piece of this. But uh, the, the family funds and the family wealth just started growing, because their wells started producing, uh, and then Jack diversified into radio and television stations. Um, he also had a couple of more hotels, La Horizon in Palm Springs and uh, the Twin Oaks in Las Vegas. Um, so he had a bit of knowledge on, on hotels. When Walt Disney first proposed the idea, Walt and Roy Disney, of the hotel, they did not have rather in mind. They just knew that they wanted to build a hotel and they kind of left that up to CB Woods, to uh, who was in charge of, of the building of Disneyland, to try to locate somebody that um, had the financial means and also the experience to build a hotel. They first started talking about it in the in the spring of 1954, but Jack Rather entered the picture in a, in sometime September, October, November 1954, sort of the late summer, early fall, um, and and the main reason why. Jack Rather was chosen was because Jack Rather also owned the Lone Ranger properties, which was broadcast on ABC, and the Disneyland television show was broadcast on ABC. So there was a definite connection there, which Jack used to his advantage when he was in the running to get the contract to build the hotel. I have a document from uh, 1954 that says, um, and I quote, we got this deal because of our ABC television connections with the Lone Ranger. So it's a direct quote from Jack Rather to some of his, the other investors in the hotel.
0: Huh? Now, did they? So they didn't have a personal relationship, Walt and Jack, other than just this business relationship.
1: They didn't have the kind of personal relationship that's part of the folklore. Um, if you If you read some of the uh the publications concerning the the early roots of the history of the hotel, it says that Walt went to his good friend jack rather um, i wouldn 't really classify it as a good friend, and that 's not necessarily a bad thing because Walt was a very very busy man i don 't think he had time for a really good uh good friend like Jack Rather, but he certainly did know him, and there is also evidence that they did meet for lunch. Sometime in the spring, but they weren't talking about the hotel at that point. It kind of came up in the conversation, and then it was put aside for several months. And they they got back around to it when the the plans became more solidified, and um, in, in later in the fall of nineteen fifty four. But but Walt was a busy man. Jack was a busy man. Jack had the radio stations, the television stations, his his TV properties, and the Lone Ranger, Sergeant Pres- Preston of the Yukon as well as Lassie. They owned Lassie. Um, he had three or four television stations, three or four radio stations, his oil properties. He was also the producer of uh, Hollywood Motion Pictures, which is where he met his second wife, Bonita Grandel, um when he was producing a movie that she was in. Jack was married before, uh, just prior to World War II, with Molly O'Daniel, whose father was the governor of Texas. Um, that marriage produced two children, Jack uh, the third and Molly, his uh, oldest daughter, um, and then they uh, were divorced in 1947, and uh, uh, he met uh, Mary Bonita shortly thereafter, and they had two more children after that, Christopher and Linda.
0: Yeah, you have some, in your book, you have some photographs of them posing for Christmas cards at the hotel, all for the children, and Jack and Bonita. Which mm-hmm. is nice. Now, in designing the Disneyland Hotel, Jack rather proved himself to be an innovator. And Walt Disney was also an innovator in everything he did. So did these qualities sort of bring them together in this working relationship?
1: One of the amazing things I've found in all of my, my uh, research into not only the Disneyland Hotel, but in Walt Disney and Disneyland and the Magic Kingdom... Was that just the parallels that these two men had. Uh, Walt Disney always been known as a genius and an innovator, and and just he could just foretell, you know, what was going to be popular and what people liked. Um, and then he also, Walt, also surrounded himself with very creative people, um, and he spared no expense in in educating those people and making them the best that they could be. Um, I think one of the things I read one time was that Walt considered himself to be like a bee, just spreading the pollen, um, you know, to 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 his artists and, and animators and things. Jack Rather was the same way. He he surrounded himself with people that were really good in business, really good at um, marketing, really good at sales, and uh, both men, you know, were, took a tremendous risk, uh, risky chance in building. Disneyland and the Disneyland Hotel, because at the time, it was practically out in the middle of nowhere, and there was no guarantee that this would be a success, because it was basically the first of its kind, uh, the hotel being the first of its kind to, again, cater to children, and offer family activities, and have a full slate of uh, amenities along with it, and then Disneyland, a theme park, uh, you know, that was certainly different than anything that was out at that time. Uh, so they were both risk takers and, and real innovators, um, which was s- something that really impressed me about, uh, and always has impressed me about both men how they how they took that chance and it really paid off.
0: Yeah. and Now you you talked about some of the features that Jack Rather put into the hotel, such as being family oriented, family activities. What were some of the other things that he wanted to do with the Disneyland Hotel to make it distinctive? From other hotels you know what were some of its unique um, you know sort of groundbreaking features at the time
1: well it was one of the first hotels on the West Coast to have air conditioning Um, it was the first hotel to offer color television and back in the 1950s color television was just something that was almost unheard of it was less than one tenth of one percent of the population had color television sets as well as there was very little programming available in color, um, but they had that. Um, He also had a full arcade of shops uh, with clothing, apparel, um, sundries, uh, snacks, beverages. Uh, They even had a magic store. They had a barber shop. They had a woman's uh, beauty salon. There was a doctor and a dentist on call. Um, There were also rooms for every... Uh, uh, budget so to say uh, it, they had uh, suites for the people that you know t- chose to to partake in those and then they had regular rooms that were certainly very affordable at that time um, they had the, the swimming pool the wading pool shuffleboard courts uh, a full playground um, and um, also some really nice restaurants and again they had restaurants that catered to every budget from the coffee shop for casual dining with you know burgers and fries and shakes to full-steak dinners um, at the gourmet restaurant so it gave a choice for people uh, people could go there and, and and on any type of budget um, and and be able to have a really good time
0: so very much like what Walt wanted for his park you, you, know, yeah. you know something you know a place where anybody could enjoy it you know, no matter yes. what. So yes,
1: exactly. And um, again, another parallel. Uh, you know, they they had a lot in common. They wanted to appeal to the masses, and by by making it affordable, you know, from from just the working class people all the way to the wealthy people, uh, it, it helped to open the doors to a lot of people for family vacations. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other uh, aspects of the hotel was. The early convention facilities, so they wanted people to have businesses to have their conventions there. They certainly were not at the scale that they are today, but they had full convention facilities at the hotel. So pretty soon, when whereas before Dad would go away for a convention and leave the family behind, now he would bring the family, and while he was at the convention all day, the kids and mom would be out at Disneyland enjoying themselves and they could go back in at noon and meet him for lunch, and then in the evening take a swim and then head back into the park. Um, And it just made for enjoyable family trips. That was something that really wasn't a a big happening in the 50s because, like I said, the the men would go away for business trips and just go by themselves.
0: Yeah, and I know I read in your book, not only was Jack Rather a a family man, um, very family-oriented, but he also wanted to make you know, working for his corporation, a fun experience for his employees.
1: Yes. He, he thought that you, his philosophy or his credo was that you need to have fun at your job because then you never work a day in your life. So he offered things for his employees. Uh, he, he would have, uh, by, uh, from, six months, every six months, uh, biannual um, symposiums that he would offer for his, not only his executives, but just for uh, select employees as well. And they would discuss the various businesses within the Rather Corporation um, and then ways that they can improve upon them or ways in which they were working well and uh, and also new ideas. Um, And he would have those numerous locations around the United States. I remember there was one in Florida. Um, there was one in Palm Springs at La Horizon. There were several at the Disneyland Hotel. He had a couple in, in Lake Tahoe. Um, so he, he made it fun for his employees so that they would enjoy their job, and that's why a lot of the people would stay on for years There was one bellman who had been there since 1955, since almost the very beginning. He came on, I think, two weeks after they opened. um, And he just left two and a half years ago. Um, So he was there for almost the entire time that the Disneyland Hotel was open, and he loved the Rathers. All the employees said that it was like a family operation, like they worked for a family, not a corporation, when they worked for the Rather family.
0: And that's exactly what people who worked for Walt Disney when he was alive, worked for the Disney Studios, said. Was it was like working for a family.
1: Yeah, another yeah. parallel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, both men, both men had a lot of similar philosophies when it came to the workplace as well. You know, they made their cast members or their employees feel important, and like every job was unique and special and critical to the end result, the happiness of the of the customer.
0: Yeah. Now, in your books, you have an extensive collection of photos from the early years of the Disneyland Hotel. Okay, now, what was the exterior architectural style of the hotel? Because it looks like someone went wild with an Erector set. So, w- was that a style at the time? Because uh, with the open yes. girders.
1: Yes, that was symbolizing the the uh, the openness and the expansion of the fifties. That was designed by the architectural firm of Pereira and Luckman. Um, they were the original architects, and they wanted to create kind of a, a sense of, of uh, spaciness and, um, um, you know, modern, well, it's mid-century now, architecture that was alluring and, uh, you know, generated a lot of thought, and, and, and people wanted to photograph it and and uh, just be there and look at it so it would stand out. Um, but it was very popular at that time um, in the 50s to have kind of space age kind of architectural design. Uh, that was at the beginning of you know our, our space program and, and things like that. But you brought up the uh, erector set uh, uh, model. It's interesting because Jack Rather bought that company in 1961. Certainly uh, later than when the hotel was designed, so that didn't influence him. But he did buy that company, the A.C. Gilbert Company, in 1961. Um, and a lot of people thought that he patterned it after that, and it, it was not necessarily true, but uh, I can see the coincidences there.
0: Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so he definitely diversified. <laughs> so, Yes, now, yes. Now, how in- was the Walt Disney Studio at all involved with the development of the Disneyland Hotel? Yes, they
1: were uh, essential, and they used to have a miniature golf course that opened in 1961. And uh, they, they, it was an 18-hole miniature golf course, and they sent the Disney artists out to design the set pieces that were... Each hole in the, on the golf course was themed... After a Disneyland attraction, and when it initially opened up, they had the the statues there, for instance, of Mickey Mouse or Matterhorn Mountain or you know the, uh, Main Street uh, Hub building, but they were just white, and so they were kind of boring, and people kind of said this could be so much nicer, you know, if there was some color to it. So the artist came out then and painted it. It, but through the years, even from the very beginning. Any kind of design or any kind of planning or any kind of uh, concepts for buildings or restaurants or uh, seating arrangements was run by, by Disney, by Rather Corporation, so that they could kind of get the unofficial thumbs up from Disney saying, that's in line with our thinking and that's in line with what we think you know, people will want to stay at. Because after all, it was the Disneyland Hotel. Even though it wasn't owned by Disney, it had that name attached to it. So they wanted the same quality there that was at, certainly at the park, uh, which was very important to Walt and Roy Disney. Um, and Jack rather went out of his way to keep, it, to, to keep that fulfillment, even though it was never a legally binding agreement or anything, but uh, he, he did his best to keep it that way. Anything that he was building, he ran it by Walt and Roy first before and got their blessing um, and then proceeded on with the building and that.
0: Now, the hotel officially opened on October 5th, 1955, and was it an immediate success?
1: Well, the first night that it opened, there were only eight rooms available, um, mainly because all of the plumbers, electricians, carpenters, uh, pavement people, uh, uh, you know, landscapers, they were busy at Disneyland, and so there was almost nobody there to get the hotel built. So it was originally planned to open, to coincide the opening of Disneyland in mid-July of 1955, but due to the fact that, uh, you know, all of the workers, the skilled workers were were building Disneyland, there was a delay, Um, and then they said that they would open a month later, um, which would have been uh, August, and then it got moved to September. Then there was a plumber strike, and so it, it eventually opened on October 5th with eight rooms, but they converted one of the eight rooms into the first registration, uh, area. So they really had seven rooms open. Um, and they had a hundred percent occupancy. Obviously that first night they had a hundred percent occupancy, but I think within two weeks they were up to 96 rooms because they were just, you know, putting the carpets and the finishing touches in those rooms when they first opened and they were at a hundred percent. They were turning away, In one report that I read, they were turning away 300 requests a night for rooms. Um, So that immediately told them that they needed to uh, accelerate the plans and expand right away, Uh, and they did. They started building three more uh, guest accommodation structures, which were the old two-story villas that they had there. Uh, They immediately started construction on those, which opened... Uh, just around July, August of 1956. So they were up to a little over 200 rooms by that time, still operating in the very high 90s uh, of capacity um, uh, during the summer months and, and spilling into summer and out of summer. Um, and they were down to about 75 or 80% during the non-summer months. So it was, a, it was very profitable from the very beginning and very uh, popular. Uh, people wanted to stay there course there were none of the other hotels around there those quickly you know became and came into development and uh, they started building many other hotels around there but the first year and a half or so that was it that was the closest thing to Disneyland and it also had the tram service uh, which operated every every 10 minutes a tram going into Disneyland from the hotel
0: yeah I wish they still had that
1: (laughs) I know I love taking that tram It was nice on a summer night when it was a little bit warm out. You could go on that tram and that breeze hitting you. Always was nice. And then just seeing that oasis of the hotel across the parking lot was just a real nice feeling.
0: It was. And the hotel, it seemed like it very quickly became a place for celebrities to be seen.
1: Yes. It was uh, many, many uh, of Hollywood's biggest names stayed at the Disneyland Hotel, mainly because... Uh, Jack's second wife, Bonita, was also an actress, so she knew what it was like to have uh, kind, kind of like seclusion or to be away from the crowds, you know, requesting autographs or photographs or things like that. And they had built some rooms at the hotel that would cater to those that were away from the regular rooms, uh, you know, the suites that they had there that also had the color TVs in them. Um, and she knew, they knew how to handle the celebrities um so they they could enjoy themselves and have their own privacy and and uh, and still be able to go out kind of anonymously to Disneyland as well. Um, but the bellman that I mentioned to you earlier said that he had checked in John Wayne, uh, Charlton Heston, several politicians. he He met uh, Richard Nixon, he met Dr. Martin Luther King, um, and uh, everybody that was anybody would at one time or another stay at the Disneyland Hotel.
0: Now, for our listeners who only know the modern hotel, can you sort of describe what the hotel looked like in these early years? Because it's very different. It was
1: pretty much where um, downtown Disney is now, where ESPN Zone is, where the movie theaters are. Uh, And then in the wintertime, they have an ice skating rink right there. That was kind of where the, the layout of the hotel was. But initially, it had five two-story guest accommodation structures with uh, right around a hundred rooms and suites. They again quickly built the other three buildings uh, that opened in 1956. There was an administration wing that housed the lobby, um, and it also had a couple of offices, like the hotel offices for the uh, the staff there to do the bookkeeping um, and the registration desk. Um, there was the barber shop downstairs. In mean, all the shops, there were 17 shops that were in there, ranging from uh, drugs and sundries to Hawaiian luau wear. Uh, <laughs> there was a kids' clothing store, a magic shop, uh, a place where you could go to get uh, your newspapers or your cigarettes or cigars and tobacco. Um, and then the the restaurants. Initially, there were uh, three restaurants, the, the coffee shop, the gourmet shop, and then the kind of combination uh, bar restaurant that you could get a meal and also had a full bar serving you know uh, drinks for people Um, and it was all um, and they had a a banquet room upstairs from that for convention facilities with uh, small small rooms for convention facilities but they had the ability to knock out walls and make them large you know for up to a thousand people Um, but it was basically 50s architecture you know a lot of wood um, a lot of shingles Um, The exposed beams and girders, like you had mentioned before. Um, And it was, you know, a a typical hotel or motor lodge uh, hotel of the 50s. It certainly had, you know, a lot more rooms than most of them because most of the places that would uh, develop around there would be 30 to 50 units at most. Um, And this one, you know, in its largest capacity, it had over 335 rooms in the two story structures until in the early sixties when they started building the towers. Um, but it was wonderful because it was desi- the landscaping was designed by a gentleman named Raymond Page and Raymond Page was one of the premier landscapers at that time. Um, he had won several, uh, the equivalent of the Academy Awards for landscaping. Um, and he certainly, uh, outdid himself at the hotel because there, w- there was lush tropical gardens, um, and and you know fancy trees and palm trees and it just looked like some place that you would want to go and stay because it was just designed really beautifully. And Jack Rather just turned him loose and said, you know, let's let's see what you got. And and he just built it beautifully. Um, and then he weaved things into it like there was a putting green there for people, an eight hole putting green. Um, like I said, the shuffleboard, the uh, sand volleyball, um, and a sand pit. The sand pit was not very popular with the maids at that time because the kids would tend to track that into their rooms. <laughs> uh, but, it, uh, you know, and then they had the Olympic-sized pool, which is the largest pool of any hotel west of the Mississippi, um, and it was heated, um, which was, you know, another real special feature. Um, hot summer days could be spent in air-conditioned uh, rooms and restaurants. So they, they thought of every attention to detail, that they could to, to lure people. But at the same time, they knew that they were, they were the opening act to the main act, which was next door, which was Disneyland, and they were okay with that. Uh, but they wanted people to be able to relax and have fun while, while they were there. They, Disney and Rather had this kind of uh, uh, symbiotic relationship where Jack knew his place, and Walt certainly knew what he had with Disneyland, and they coexisted and both thrived, you know, uh, knowing that. I know myself, when, when it was the original configuration of the hotel, we would always come back uh, from Disneyland around noon or 1 o'clock when the crowds were really picking up, go take a relaxing dip in the pool, you know, have an iced tea or something by the pool, go grab a burger and a milkshake relax for a couple of hours, and then head back into Disneyland. Um,
0: That's something that- we still advocate on the show Yeah, <laughs> to do. Yeah.
1: that was a great way to spend a day because it kind of broke up your day, mm-hmm. let you relax for a little bit, and kind of energized you and recharged you, you know, for your afternoon and evening and night sessions at Disneyland.
0: Yeah. Now, you'd mentioned the construction of motor hotels in the surrounding area as Disneyland's, you know, success grew. How did Jack Rather respond to this competition, you know, growing up around him?
1: Well, he he never really, there was never anything in the research that I've done um, that he rejected or was upset by any of this because he knew it had to be because, again, they were turning away people in droves, uh, you know, for the first four or five years. They were, there were not enough rooms. And he knew that what he had was at the top of the food chain because the other ones were put up quickly, they were, they were smaller, but they were cheaper. So, again, they appealed to a crowd that was more on a budget, where his was more a little bit upscale. For instance, the first rooms at the Disneyland Hotel were nine dollars a night, and when the first hotels opened around the way, they were seven fifty and eight dollars a night. And that dollar, dollar fifty, would get you, you know, a bunch more rides in Disneyland, um, which was a lot of money back then because minimum wage was about that. Um, so he didn't really object until around the seventies or eighties when these big multi story complexes were being proposed that he thought destroyed the look of the area where you could see these things from inside Disneyland. Because one thing I'll mention when we get to the tower uh, building at Disneyland was there was a rule between Disney and Rather that you could not see the hotel from inside Disneyland, that they, they wanted to remain the illusion that you were out of the real world when you were in Disneyland. And some of the proposed structures that they were going to build were 25 stories. Um, and he actually took those to the, uh, Anaheim chamber of commerce or the council and petitioned against those. And they were struck down, um, in the seventies and eighties. That's the only time I can see where he really objected to some of the hotels or, or, or things around there. But in the early stages, I think he almost welcomed it because, uh, you know, it, it, uh, people would tend to stay at those hotels and then maybe go have lunch at the Disneyland Hotel or go shopping on the uh, grounds of the Disneyland Hotel and buy clothing or souvenirs from there. Um, so he, he was not, not necessarily against that um, that I can find in my research.
0: Now, you know, many of our our Walt Disney World listeners recall making resort, hotel, and restaurant reservations at Epcot Center's Communicore. However, this wasn't all that innovative, because couldn't Disneyland guests at one time make reservations from the park for the Disneyland Hotel? Yes.
1: Yes. They could go to City Hall and and, uh, uh, book – they could even book accommodations at the hotel from City Hall – or they could uh, do a, a restaurant reservation. Um, the uh, hotel would also store souvenirs bought from Disneyland. So you could buy a souvenir, um, take it to City Hall, and they would take it over to the hotel for you. So they had a lot of uh, joint agreements and joint arrangements you know, between the hotel and the park to make it as accommodating and easy on the guests as possible. Um, and it, it it again was another thing that they worked very well in in coordinating to uh, to make the guest experience more pleasant.
0: Yeah, and I think you also mentioned they could make reservations from Carefree Corner on Main Street. There was Street. another
1: one. And I just I couldn't think of it when you first asked me yeah. the name of the place. Uh, but yeah, they they could at the Carefree Corner. There was an advertisement about that in one of the brochures that said, you know, make your reservations or your plans at the Carefree Corner, um, and, and things, uh, yeah, that's certainly true.
0: Yeah, and I think the Hills Brothers um, Coffee House on Town Square yeah, was another location. And, and for our, our younger listeners now, the, the Carefree Corner is now the Main Street Photoshop, and actually the Hills Brothers Coffee House has been a character meet-and-greet for years and is now where the new livery-stable facade is for the Guest Flow Corridor. Is just opening. Oh, Uh, that's neat. I didn't. I did not know that. Yeah. So, so there you go. See, I could share a little history with you. (laughs) (laughs) I love um, it. Now, with the success of Disneyland, though, you wrote that there was some internal strife within the Rather Corporation. Can you talk on this and 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 how it affected the hotel operation?
1: Um. I'm not... I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I don't know why. Um, well, I
0: know that he um, had... I know Jack ended up buying out one of the partners, I think, in the hotel.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I know what you mean now. Well, when when they first were planning the Disneyland Hotel, when, when, when Rather had been selected by Disney to go ahead um, and, and submit their plans and their ideas... And it got solidified. Um, There were actually four partners that were in the development of the Disneyland Hotel. There was Jack and Benita, rather. There was Jack's mother, Maisie, who many of you may know later years, Maisie's Pantry that was named after her, which was a restaurant there at the Plaza.
0: That was one of my favorite restaurants.
1: Yeah, a lot of people write to me and tell me that. there was um, a lady named Helen Maria Helen Alvarez, who was also uh, a big name in in uh, radio and television stations in Southern California, mostly San Diego. Um, her her maiden name was Helen Harmon, and uh, she was part of the Harmon family that were disc jockeys and radio station operators um, in Southern California in the 50s and 60s. Um, she was a partner, and then there was an investment firm, firm called. Loeb and Schwartz, and they were out of New York City where Jack did a lot of business dealings, and he had an office there. So there were actually four partners that were in the development. Loeb and Schwartz, uh, it was actually Loeb, Rhodes, and Schwartz. They uh, were kind of silent partners where they just participated in money, but they also had a person on the board who you know, oversaw spending and, and uh, uh, new, new ventures and things that were being built at the hotel. Um, and, uh, Jack rather was the main face of the Disneyland hotel. Helen Alvarez had money in it and she certainly had a say when it came to things, but very early on Jack rather started changing things, um, such as, uh, one of the first things that he changed was the size of the restaurant because he had received a report that they needed to double the size of the restaurant because the forecast was way off that they were going to have twice as many people. Um, so he went ahead and did that and spent another, I think it was $750,000 without conferring with any of the other partners. Even his own mother, Maisie, was upset with him, and she said, that's not how you do things, Jack. You know, you've got to bring this up at the board meetings, and you've got to tell us that you're spending this. Anyway, it got to the point where Loeb, Rhodes, and Schwartz said, hey, you know, we don't like this anymore. We We'd like to get out. We don't want to be in this... And this was in uh, May and June of 1956, so really early on. Uh, and I have some correspondences back and forth between Rather and, and Loeb. Uh, Carl Loeb uh, was, was one of the partners, and Jack said, hey, listen, you know, I'm only doing this because we're going to make even more money, and your, our return on investment. All Loeb, Rhode, and Schwartz cared about was their return on investment. They were an investment house. They had no stake in the family aspect of it. They just looked at it as they could make some money. But that's what they did. That's no knock on them. That's just what they did. They invested money to make money. Um, but they didn't have any of the the irons in the fire with the you know with the children like Jack had, or the feeling that he wanted something fun for families. Um, they just wanted to, to get in as a pure investment. Um, and Jack wrote some terse letters back to them saying. Hey, you guys only have a money stake in this. I have blood, sweat, toil, and tears into this, so you know don't give me a hard time about my spending. It'll pay off in spades. And he was right, and they they stuck with it. Uh, this
0: sounds exactly but- like some of the things Walt Disney said about his spending on Disneyland and, or on his films, as I well. Know that parallel. if, if yeah. you if you spend money on quality the people will come and you will get your money back.
1: Exactly. Um, But then he also started having uh, bad troubles with with Helen Alvarez um, on completely side uh, issues non-related to the Disneyland Hotel. In some of the TV stations, there was some kind of devious um, uh, shenanigans going on with a couple of the radio stations that they own, And so they had a major falling out and it was... At the time in 1958, it was one of the largest lawsuits ever filed in the United States. I think it was $10 million um, that Helen sued Jack, and then Jack countersued Helen. And anyway, it dragged on until the 50s until Jack rather bought her out with uh, Maisie and, and Broads and Schwartz. Um, so she was no longer a partner. But what's interesting about that is some of the souvenirs that you can find, like the brochures or the pamphlets or or things that they had from the hotel that mention rather Alvarez hotels, those are some of the most sought-after souvenirs because, you know, they're from the earliest times of the Disneyland Hotel because she was only a partner for about two and a half years of actual hotel operations. Uh, but it got really nasty. I have meeting minutes, and, and people would leave meetings, and... And uh, there was name calling and insulting, and it was in the papers, and it got really nasty until until they did finally buy her out.
0: Does you always think people were so polite and civil back in those days? But I guess not always.
1: <laughs> so. Well, an interesting thing—an interesting thing about Helen Alvarez was, this was the fifties, and not to sound politically incorrect, but women just weren't businessmen back then and certainly not you know the heads of companies or the heads of uh uh, partners or something in a major development like the disneyland hotel helen alvarez in her own right was very unique and very uh a trailblazer for for women in in her ventures and things in television and radio and certainly with the disneyland hotel um she was a very strong woman very vocal and and very smart and uh, so she she was a trailblazer in her own right uh, with some of the some of the things that she was involved in, and she certainly wasn 't going to take any you know she wasn 't going to sit down and listen to you know like the men say hey we 'll take care of this, you just sit back you know She would not put up with that at all. I have a really neat story about Helen Alvarez, um, if I may right now sure um, I had sent her uh, a couple of copies of my book, my first book, when it first came out. I found her address. She lived in uh, Rancho Santa Margarita in, uh, uh, down, uh, Rancho Santa Fe, excuse me, down near San Diego. Very, very, very wealthy woman. She ended up marrying C. Arnett Smith, who was the mayor of uh, San Diego, um, who also served time in prison for uh, some of the uh, shenanigans that he did when he was in business but anyway I was sitting at home and this was I think uh, 2006 or 2007 and my phone rang Uh, my house phone rang and I had caller ID and it said Helen Smith and I said could this be so I answered the phone and it was her she called me and we talked for about 45 minutes and I said why was it so bad between you? Why, why did you guys not get along between you and Rather? And she said, Bonita was jealous of me because um, she was a very attractive woman. Uh, Helen Alvarez was a very attractive woman, and she said Bonita was jealous of me, and and she would, you know, she didn't want to be partners anymore, and so it kind of ruined everything for us. But I thought that was kind of funny that after all these years, you know, she was in her eighties. Um, And she still remembered that, and she was, you know, real quick to answer me um, in that.
0: Gosh, it was like a soap opera. (laughs) I know. Don, I know you have many more great stories to tell us, and we'll continue our conversation next time when we talk about the expansion of Disneyland and the Disneyland hotels through the decades. In the meantime, that concludes this segment of the Diz Unplugged. Please listen to our other segments this week, and thank you for listening, and be magical.